0: Support this podcast, and the following message comes from KUST Camp Radio, a student-operated non-commercial radio station. KUST provides students and faculty of St. Thomas a platform dedicated to creative storytelling, diverse viewpoints, and exploring a vast array of audio content. Tune in at any time to KUST at com slash KUST hyphen radio.
1: Welcome to The Medium, a podcast presented by Tommy Media that's all about what's happening in the art and entertainment world. On today's show, we talk about our favorite horror movies, discuss two specific films of the genre, and catch up on the latest news and releases. Welcome back to The Medium, everybody. Song and I are here for our Halloween episode.
0: Yes. Spooky vibes indeed. Happy Halloween, everybody. Happy Halloween. I never used to like Halloween. I thought it was was scary. That's the point. But now I like it.
1: I have always loved Halloween. I'm a big spook gal, big horror movie gal. Mm. I love costumes. I'll tell you, my favorite costume I ever did, I was a laundry basket. (laughs) (laughs) So... I cut a hole in the bottom yep. of a laundry basket and held it off my shoulders with suspenders and put like clothes and empty laundry bottle like things inside of it. It was great, but my ha- bleh, my neighborhood is extremely hilly, so trick or treating was
0: so <sighs> rough. A bit of a nightmare. Yeah, I was gonna ask. Did you just cut a hole in a little basket and then put your feet through it? That, that is that's exactly what, I what happened.
1: But it was efficient for like putting my candy pillowcase oh, yeah. just like in the basket.
0: It's just perfect. You could have poured your can in there. I could Like oh, I didn't get any candy. Where'd it go? <laughs> yeah. It's perfect storage. And of course, as you grow up, and that's how we become a different tradition, mm. movies Ooh, yeah. play a big part of it. It's the source of many inspirations. Costumes, themes, yep. whatnot.
1: Just the general vibe. Like You got to get in the, really dig into the spooky mood.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. And so we have listed some of our favorite horror movies. Oh, uh, but just the some, just some of them, just some. Of them. <laughs> there's
1: there's quite a few. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I figure we'll just kind of list them off, but then maybe each of us pick one to give a little, little brief synopsis, or at least just a little. Why do you like it? Let's do it. All right. Um, I have eight on here that I'll just rattle off: The Conjuring, Hereditary, Insidious, The Thing, Get Out, A Quiet Place, Halloween, and The Blair Witch Project couple different sub-genres going on there. Span of years of a lot of them. Um, Which one do I want to highlight? All, hmm.
0: There's so many good ones on it. I have some of the same ones on my list. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm excited to hear which one you're going to pick now.
1: I know, well now the pressure's on. (laughs) I kind of want to talk about the Blair Witch Project. Good. That's choice. my choice.
0: Yeah. Very.
1: Um, was really influential. For handheld camera. Cinematography, I suppose, for the horror genre, or that, and also like the found footage trope. Mm. It might have either been the first or like really early on in that. Um, trend. It's like an hour and a half. It's pretty short, and it's really calm. It's a very slow burn horror. I hesitate to even call it true horror because majority of it is not it's just these three kids going to the woods looking for the Blair Witch and they find like some clues here and there there's some like suspenseful things but it's just them like arguing and like being friends and like being dumb teenagers dumb young adults kind of vibe but then it leads up to the end which I'm not going to spoil the two movies we highlight later on spoiler alert for those but for these we'll keep it pretty Mm -hmm. Pretty chill. But, yeah, the end, the last, like, five minutes makes the whole, like, what are we doing watching this worth it? Because it's so slow. And you're like, why are they just arguing about a map for 60% of the movie? But then the end is just kind of mind-blowing.
0: Yeah. uh, I haven't seen too much of it. I've seen, like, snippets every now and then. But from my understanding, like, you're talking about this found footage trope and this handheld revolution in movies. Mm Mm-hmm. Fair to say that the Blair Witch Project really paved the way for movies like Cloverfield and Wreck and Absolutely. all those movies. Definitely. Um, I feel like I should watch this in its entirety now because, uh, like you're, sa- I feel like it's very similar to one of my, <laughs> the one I'm gonna pick. Um, so yeah, I'll get to that when I get to that.
1: <laughs> yeah. No. Definitely watch it. Um, I don't know if it's on any streaming services, but I have it on DVD.
0: <laughs> so <Throwback>. dedicated. <laughs> dedicated
1: yeah all right go ahead with your picks
0: all right so this is my list i have hereditary the woman in black alien from 1979 classic uh it the most recent recent release uh the first one that is get out a quiet place and i have sweeney todd demon barber of fleet street
1: epic so fun (laughs)
0: literally great gotta i feel like love a good musical thrown on there (laughs) Plus, you know it's Johnny Depp. How can you not throw and a Johnny Helena Bottom Carter? Yeah, Love that's her. True. Who directed Sweeney Todd? What's that? If this it's, is
1: uh, don't tell me. Um Who this does? This is who I think it is. It it is. I think it. Who? Oh no. Oh, I'm so annoyed. Yeah. Is it the guy that does Tom Hooper? No, no. that's lame. Is <laughs> who am I thinking of?
0: It's the one and only. Tim Burton. Yes, okay. Yeah. I was like, it
1: starts with a T, ends with an M.
0: <laughs> then... Those three is like the holy trinity of... Uh, of. Uh... Freaking
1: wacky. Yeah, actually. Sorry, Tom Hooper. I didn't... Not you. Tim so, yeah. Burton.
0: Um, wow, well, as I read through that list, I'm kind of getting a little like... Because all these movies are really good. Mm-hmm. Um, so picking one of them is tough. I'm going to do the process of elimination here. All right, all right. <laughs> so Lead me through it. Let's go. Yes. Uh, so, Alien from 1979. Great. Fantastic movie. Uh, started my whole love for this Alien vs. Predator series mm. that i shared with one of my closest friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that one's out. I Sorry, Alien. Now. Yeah, we're doing top three here now.
1: Honorable mentions.
0: On second place, I'm doing Hereditary.
1: I could talk about that movie
0: Fantastic for movie. eight hours. Yeah. it Just the amount of shock value that movie has the first time you see it, mm-hmm. it just justifies watching it another eight times. Easily. Like, it's so good.
1: Well, and it's so immersive, too. Mm-hmm. They don't stop to explain anything. It's like, you're in this just as much as
0: that family yeah. is. And then I went for The Woman in Black. Classic. Yeah. So, if you haven't seen The Woman in Black, it stars uh, Daniel Radcliffe. And if you haven't seen anything Harry since... Harry Potter. Anything since Harry Potter, this one is going to shock you. Yeah. So he travels out to this uh, mansion in like the middle of nowhere it's like a swamp almost because he gets stuck there many times but the reason i'm picking this movie is because it goes beyond the borders of normal like scary movies so it has jump scares and everything like that but it's the way these jump scares are introduced and just executed that makes it so great because it's a slow movie it's long it's methodical and the fact that you have to sit there and wait and you're watching this story unfold and then all of a sudden boom they hit you with something and you're just what Mm -hmm. and then like yeah it really builds yeah and i think this is a a reoccurring theme for a lot of these um movies that we're talking about uh but woman in black is definitely my go-to if you're gonna watch anything this Mm -hmm. season
1: it's got good vibes and Song and I were talking a little bit before we started recording. It's got an odd, like, emotional component to mm-hmm. it, not only for Daniel Radcliffe's character, but... Um, for the whole
0: village. For, like,
1: the whole village, the woman-specific, mm-hmm. like, character development. Just Again, that they're... ending that is just like, oh, my gosh, what yeah. is going
0: on? Just the way the whole story and plotline is introduced to you, too, and, like, how it develops with you as a viewer following it's very, I don't know, it's mm-hmm. different from what other movies would do. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think makes it so great. It's out, this outside-the-box thinking.
1: Yeah. Don't watch the second one. But <laughs> Same with
0: Blair Witch Project. Don't watch the second one. And if you ever have a chance to see like a theater uh, edition of The Woman in Black, go see it because it's probably going to be really good, too. I think this is just a testament to story always wins. Good mm. story always wins.
1: Mm-hmm. For sure. Well, we're going to move on. We've selected... Two specific horror movies to kind of dive into. Again, spoiler alert. I'm not sure how in-depth we'll get on the plot, but in case, just so you know. Um, and those two are Audition. It's a Japanese movie from 1999 and A Nightmare on Elm Street from 1984. Now, the subgenres of these are a little different. Nightmare on Elm Street was in that classic slasher era. Um, Audition... I think it's considered horror i would say more thriller vibes
0: yeah definitely not uh not a pure horror film but it right. goes under the genre of japanese horror mm-hmm. but i agree with this it. more of like a gory thriller mm-hmm. something like that like yeah. it's uh not as intense as what you would think of the traditional term surrounding the horror Horror, right so so i
1: figure let's start with audition mm-hmm. um I had never seen it before until obviously preparing for this episode, but you have. Do you want to give a little rundown of Yeah,
0: definitely. what happens,
1: I suppose, or like what the premise is?
0: Yeah, so the whole premise of the movie, this is, again, directed by Takashi uh, Miike in 1999 and is based on the book by uh, Ryu Muramaki uh, from 1997. And it's basically about a man who loses his wife and is uh, determined to find a new wife for him and his son. Now this man is a his name is uh, Aoyama, and he is the director of a TV no a production. He's uh, like office. they
1: don't explicitly say what he's like. Kind of on the production side, mm-hmm. but usually isn't directly involved with the production. Like he kind of yeah, like the head of some company. Yeah.
0: Regardless, if I were to go out and try and find a future wife, <laughs> I would probably go to a bar. But. Uh, <laughs> In the case of Aoyama, he decides to set up a fake audition. Yikes. Where he will interview these women and uh, basically uh, lead them on until he finds a uh, acceptable suitor. It's like The Bachelor, but with cheat codes.
1: It's so uncomfortable. Yes.
0: I was so uncomfy the entire time. <laughs> uh, and so this, the movie then goes on to be this uh, uh, storyline about Ayama and this woman called uh, Asami. And from that point, when they meet each other in the audition, it's a back-and-forth game. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, uh, you know, perspectives are changed and whatnot. uh, And eventually, like, the whole storyline is about the relationship between these two and, like, this shift of uh, power and hierarchy. Uh, And this story is based on a, uh, uh, like, Japanese theater style called Kaidan. And uh, it's Japanese ghost stories that are somewhat like a ironic tale about someone who has been wronged and how their spirits seek vengeance and justice. And then the main character of Kainan is often uh, a spirit, and the spirit is often uh, more often than not a woman. So you can, uh, based on what I'm saying, you can almost like make out what's going to happen in this film. So like I said earlier, this uh, relate this take on relationship and uh, power and hierarchy starts to go back and forth. So uh, I think multiple people that has reviewed the movie as well can uh, testify to this, that there's this back and forth of he said, she said mm-hmm. constantly after they meet.
1: Uh, yeah, a very big kind of a power struggle, like just interesting power dynamics in general. Yeah. Um, it very much seems in his court, he's the one who's going out there looking for a wife in this manner and her not knowing that that's what she's in for or that that's what his goal is but then as it goes on whether it's like direct or indirect action she kind of starts to take back some of that power even if it's just like ghosting him for a bit Mm -hmm. because then it puts him on his toes and he's like well I don't know how to go forward and that is obviously interesting but for me, at times, it was a bit confusing just because I didn't know enough about her yet. Mm-hmm. Which, like, that's definitely the point. He, you're kind of from his perspective the whole movie, even when it does switch to her. Yeah. So you're in this state of confusion along with him.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. And I think, like you're saying, that uh, you can easily get confused by a character like Asami because, like you're saying, you don't know a lot about her. But I think that, I think that's a, a conscious decision on mm. the director's part because mm-hmm. you're like, who is this mystery woman and why is this guy so obsessed with her? Mm-hmm.
1: Um, well, and it's definitely framed um, from his point of view, and so in that way, they like keep information from you not intentionally, but just to show how misinformed he is. Like he's so mm-hmm. blinded by his interest in her oh, and his like immediate affection for her mm-hmm. that he does not even consider like the
0: little sketchy things that are going on. Yeah, isn't it like they say like love makes you blind? Yep. Definitely in movies. <laughs> yeah, maybe
1: more so than normal.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you bring up an interesting point because it's, uh, we're talking about Asami as a character in this world, her position in this world that Mieka has uh, created. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can see all these different people that interact with Asami, especially, I think, it's the old man in the wheelchair. That's where you really mm. get the most information about Asami it's as possible.
1: dance teacher, I believe. Yeah,
0: like her former dance yeah, teacher. Like yeah, like something. Yeah. And so at this point in the movie, now we're starting to like uh, move towards the end here because there's a, there's, like I said, it's a slow movie. And so there's a part in the middle there that's just really like you got trudged through mm-hmm. it to get to this, uh, the end of this like arc. And so we, we learned that Asami has this dance teacher and he's been like inflicting a lot of violence on her, uh, both physical and sexual and mental. And we then learn that uh, Asami is now... I don't know. I would say she's kind of confused... No, not confused, but she's... There's this uh, intersection between what is love and what is, like, pain. Yeah. Which I think that she, again, then uh, puts on whoever she meets next to. Which is uh, this discrete change of power that is uh, very prevalent in the film.
1: Yeah. I think the... Relationship between love and pain was probably the main thing I got out of it, but for both characters at the same time. Oh, yeah. Because, like, we start off with Oyama. He just lost his wife, mm-hmm. which emotionally is a painful thing, but he still loves her. And, like, he kind of has conflicted the whole movie with, like, still loving and being faithful to his wife, even though she's dead. And he, like, has some, like, self-inflicted emotional pain because of that. Mm-hmm. He won't allow himself... To move forward with anybody, it's been like seven years because he still loves and misses her. Like, totally understandable. Mm-hmm. That was your wife you expected to have a life with. Um, but then on Asami's side, that like all of her strong connections from her childhood, whether it was her family, like her mom, her uncle, or her aunt, her dance teacher, all of those had some form of abuse mm-hmm. tied to it. And when that's present from like your development years, you can't sift through that like that they're very much tied together even if you know they shouldn't be or whatever so in how she expresses love or what she thinks is love with ayama is seems entirely messed up or like crazy yeah. to the common viewer that hasn't been in that
0: situation before it kind of feels like an unmovable object meets mm. an unstoppable force yeah and they're just like whoops Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And so this uh, the relatively complicated relationship continues to develop, and now we're reaching the apex moment of the film, where
1: it goes bonkers.
0: It gets crazy, people.
1: Zero to a hundred exponentially.
0: <laughs> and this is def- this is what I'm talking about. It's so slow, all up until those like last fifteen minutes.
1: <laughs> like you could think it's honestly just like a drama movie.
0: <laughs> yeah, and then it- it's not. <laughs> It is just a horrifying display of slasher uh, energy. Like torture, basically. Basically torture. I think... um, It's like a mild version (laughs) of Saw. I'm trying to figure out which part of that scene to describe. And every single one of them are equally as bad. Basically, he gets drugged through Mm -hmm. his drink. And then he's paralyzed.
1: And then she, like... An extreme version of acupuncture takes place. Yeah. And then she like saws his foot off.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) Ayama gets a needle in the eye and then gets his foot cut off. Oh (laughs) yeah,
1: yeah. It's bad. It's as bad as it sounds.
0: And if that's not
1: (laughs) (laughs) If that's not enough.
0: The expression of love.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I'm. You didn't. Well, okay. But that was an interesting tidbit of dialogue. She like kind of goes on to explain why she's doing what she's doing. And this whole time she had asked him to love just her. Like it could only be her. And she twists that in that he's not even allowed to have a relationship with his son. He can't show love to the son or the dog, the freaking dog dying. That was the worst. Gangu was the best character. (laughs) Um, But then she continues and basically asserts the position that he does this frequently that he like has auditions constantly oh, yeah, yeah, or yeah. he's like trying to be intimate with every single woman mm-hmm. he can find and that's not the case at all like she literally was the first time he's done this the only person he was looking mm-hmm. for obviously picked the wrong girl but like <laughs> really picked the wrong girl cuz she made the assumption that he was doing that with everybody yeah which i suppose a fair assumption like coming from where she's coming from but you yeah, she, had, she hasn't badgered. actually had
0: the, the best of luck with men throughout her life. So, right. you know, it's kind of safe to to assume that you would be skeptical. But I wouldn't saw someone's foot off, <laughs> you know? I mean, I would hope not. Yeah. yeah, that's so extreme. And, you know, I think it's funny because I was researching this film and it got shunned in the U.S. This is the devil's work. Really? But it was loved in Europe. <laughs> th- what does that uh, say? I thought that was just funny. <laughs> uh, you can interpret that as much as you want.
1: Yeah, we don't need to go in there. No.
0: But, you know, it, it speaks to the genre of, you know, you could call it horror, slasher, thriller. Uh, if you would uh could you imagine trying to release this film 15 years earlier? No. Did you know what movie came out 15 years earlier? No. The Nightmare on Elm Street. Ah! Going from one slasher ending to a slasher opener.
1: <laughs> I feel like the difference between, or like why Nightmare was kind of okay and why Audition might have been too much is like the agency of the characters mm-hmm. because Asami like fully aware of what she's doing. Mm-hmm. She like wants to be doing She's okay with what is happening. <laughs> Whereas Freddy Krueger is very obviously a villain yeah. because even in an audition, I didn't like Oyama. I felt bad for him and like obviously he's still grieving his wife but mm-hmm. he like wasn't that straight up either. That's true. And like definitely maybe rooting for him still more so especially like because he has a son and that sort of thing. But like Freddy Krueger is a very obvious villain yeah. to dislike
0: yeah and if you haven't picked up on it at this point the second film that we watched was the nightmare on elm street
1: no we just made all those mentions and skirt, yeah. skirting yeah. over yeah
0: <laughs> we actually watched friday the 13th <laughs> <laughs> jason who
1: apparently this okay this is t halloween takes place in illinois
0: mm-hmm.
1: and friday the 13th takes place in illinois Supposedly at the camp 20 minutes from where I grew up. No way. Camp Crystal Lake. Oh. It's right by my house. So, Illinois, we've got corn and slasher villains. (laughs) And I wouldn't want anything different.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. So, this was written and directed by Wes Cravens. It's a supernatural slasher film, and it features our, or at least my favorite Halloween villain. Oh, that's Freddy Krueger. Yeah.
1: Hmm.
0: Which one would you pick? So I'd listed a couple, like Jason, Pinhead, Chucky, Michael Myers.
1: I think it would be between Freddy Krueger and Michael Myers.
0: Mm.
1: I kind of like Michael Myers, though.
0: I get that. I I, I,
1: th- I was more afraid of Freddy Krueger as a child, mm. which for reasons I'll explain later, but I think I like Michael Myers. That's a good vibe.
0: I get that. I, I uh, side with Freddy Krueger because it's one of the first ni- – horror film villains that I really was like, yeah, I was, like, rooting for... <laughs> this, is, this is where it's at! Despite how insane that must sound if you know the story of Freddy Krueger, but, you know, mm-hmm. he is a charismatic villain. <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. Oh.
1: So the kind of premise of A Nightmare on Elm Street is Freddy Krueger can, like... He's not a dreamwalker. That's, not like, not the proper name for it, but he mm-hmm. can, like, be in people's dreams. And... So Freddy's not, like, a dream walker. That's not really the name for it. We kind of have dream demon kind of vibe. He can just enter people's dreams and terrorize them like it would be a nightmare. But when he, in a dream, normally if, like, someone's about to get you, about to kill you, you wake up. Like, that's the point that you wake up. You don't wake up, and he, like, kills you in the dream, but then you actually get killed in real life, too. And so when you're watching all these dream sequences from the outsider perspective, you just see this person start, like, bleeding and like getting wounded but no one is there and then they die
0: mm-hmm. yeah it's um it's an interesting way of portraying the abilities of a of a villain mm-hmm. it's you know it's uh like you're saying from a third person perspective or um uh, it's weird it would be weird to you know explain this like phenomenon i guess because mm-hmm. uh, no one's gonna believe you yeah
1: like oh this guy in my dream is trying to kill me. Be like yeah same. Have that dream every other week. Like, <laughs>
0: <laughs> well that's basically the whole um, plot line for Glenn, isn't it? Is that he doesn't believe in what uh, Nancy and uh, mm. and Tina is saying, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, <laughs> yeah.
1: Is that that's Johnny Depp, right? That is Johnny and Depp. He gets like exploded out of his bed. Yep. He's wearing the crop top, and then just yeah. sinks in and. Epic.
0: Yeah, it's insane. But we'll get to that. Well, yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> well, um.
1: But just real, the reason I was so afraid of Freddy as a kid, and even now, not that I'm afraid of him, but this is a reoccurring thing for me. I have very vivid dreams that I remember, and I have dreams very frequently that I remember, especially as a kid. I would like wake up, and the first thing I would do would be tell my family, like, what dream I had last night. And I've never been able to, like, lucid dream, but like close ish, I guess. And so when there was a villain that literally would just, like, be in your dreams, that was the worst thing I could possibly hear, Mm. because that was the one thing that, I don't know, like, it was just, I always have dreams, and I always remember them, and they feel incredibly real, which I'm sure is, like, similar to a lot of people. But that seemed like, for me, as, like, a 10-year-old, I was like, this is directly targeting me. I will (laughs) die tonight, because
0: I watched Freddy Krueger. Yeah. No, I get that. If, uh... I'd probably react the same way if I was a kid and someone said, "Hey, hey!
1: By the way, dream your dreams,
0: walker, dream demon—they
1: will lead you to your death." Yeah.
0: So we we jotted on a question. I think this is a great question. Do you th- think we still have classic horror villains? Mm. Well, that would entail: Do we still have classic horror films being made?
1: Mm. That's okay. I think something to note about the villains we listed, like Jason and Michael Myers, mm. that. They're all one subgenre of horror. That's Most true. of them are all slasher. Mm-hmm. Slasher films aren't really a thing right now, not in like not broadly speaking. And I do think we have like modern classics being made. Like I would argue, Hereditary is a modern classic. Mm-hmm. Potentially, Get Out, not quite horror, but still suspense thriller vibe. Mm-hmm. The Conjuring, I think, is a modern classic. Um, some of the other ones you had on your list, but all of those don't necessarily have like
0: a character villain. They don't have that physical enemy Mm -hmm. that like slow paces to you. That's like- (laughs) Right. Like Hereditary
1: and The Conjuring have like a demon, like a supernatural entity Mm -hmm. and like demons and like that sort of thing has been really popular in the past 20 years for horror. But like, yeah, everyone's freaked out about demons and general evil. Like that's scary, get out. It's just like racism. Yeah, that's scary. (laughs) Like. It's not a singular character to mm-hmm. project fear onto.
0: I feel like it's become more and more popular to leave this trope of having this physical villain mm-hmm. to going more of this final destination route where the idea of death itself is the villain. Mm-hmm. This the mortality of life <laughs> is the villain, <laughs> you know? We are not immortal, <laughs> yeah. in case you didn't know. Uh, so do we still have classical horror villains? Hmm it's debatable show me a movie that you would classify as a classic horror film Mm -hmm. sure then you have a classic horror villain (laughs)
1: yeah perhaps like yeah i don't know i I feel like nowadays it would be very case by case Mm -hmm. it's like you said more abstract villains or at least just typical villains than Mm -hmm. anything
0: yeah and so this leads us back to our boy freddy krueger now in the beginning of this segment i said that if that Freddy Krueger is one of my favorite villains, and uh, it's a bold statement to make. Cause if you know Freddy Krueger, he his background stems from being a pedo- child pedophile or a pedophile child molester turned dream demon. Yikes! <laughs> yeah, Don't and... you just love that
1: being your favorite.
0: <laughs> well, he's the worst of them. <laughs> so uh, if that's the way to classify uh, villainous villains. Sure. Then there you go. It's not that I'm walking around advocating his uh, background. <laughs> Uh, I'm just saying that it's, they play with it very well in the film, and they mm-hmm. make these subtle, like, Wes Craven's put in these subtle details, like, just the attitude of Freddy when he's speaking to someone, the way he, like, does this little tongue flick, that's just <sighs> the most disgusting thing Ugh, ever. Yeah, it's creepy. And the fact that he, like, licks the mouth of Nancy on a phone call, that's just... It's so weird. It's so gross, but it plays so well into the slasher theme and Mm -hmm. the whole idea behind Freddy Krueger being this extroverted uh, dream demon. Mm -hmm. I do have to point out, I don't particularly...
1: I'm back on the villain question. Um, I don't particularly care for Pennywise as a character, Mm -hmm. but I love Tim Curry playing Pennywise in the original... adaptation that adaptation is not great Mm -hmm. overall his performance is spectacular and it kind of reminds me of how Freddy is portrayed in this one of like having those weird quirks and Mm -hmm. like having a personality beyond being evil Tim Curry does the same thing with Pennywise he like makes jokes and he he's still obviously the villain and he's still obviously scary but he just adds that extra element and granted it's funny whereas with Freddy Krueger it's disturbing but it still is that little bit beyond just like oh they're just evil and scary.
0: Yeah, it's uh yeah it's like you're saying it's giving the character more character. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. uh yeah, making them more memorable because like,
1: and maybe that's where the like iconic villain thing, yeah, really stands is these characters have something beyond just that they're the villain. The villain.
0: Yeah. So yeah, like just <laughs> digressing. <laughs> like Jason. Tangents beyond. Jason tangents. is cool. Cause he like he just walks, like right. you know he's coming. Right. But it's not as cool when you put Michael Myers next to him, mm. and that brings up the question: Who are you going to put next to Freddy Krueger that has the same criteria? Mm. And that's why I think he's a great character. Sure. Sure. Because it's very much it's more difficult. It's not impossible, but it's more difficult to compare Krueger to any other slasher villain.
1: I'd agree with that. Yeah. He doesn't seem like just human. Like, he, like, obviously, he's in dreams. He has more of a supernatural element. Yeah. But, he, yeah, he's just a little more defined oh, yeah. as a character. Yeah.
0: And he's portrayed very well by uh, Robert Englund. Mm, definitely. And so, as a dream demon, the whole dream aspect plays so well into... Like, Wes Craven's works with it so well. You can tell that he spent a lot of time thinking about all these different things because uh, it plays into uh, what we can't not control and what we can't that we can't tell what's real or not Mm -hmm. you wrote that down you want to elaborate on that
1: yeah um as i talked a little bit earlier about my like dreaming as a kid and now we unless you're lucid dreaming but that's a different story you can't control your dreams not directly it's your subconscious playing through things things come into play that you would never expect and they just unfold as they do and but sometimes dreams feel really real and you can't tell that you're dreaming until you wake up and you're like, whoa, mm-hmm. that was a dream. Like that felt real to me. And they really play with that idea in Nightmare on Elm Street because it's that fear that like, oh, someone's chasing you. And that is a pretty typical like dream plot, if you will, until it's not and it like is real, but you're like, dreams shouldn't be real, but you're actually getting killed in real life. And that, like, it's, it's so muddled yeah. what's happening. And that not obviously messes with the characters, but I think it messes with the audience, not only in watching the movie and trying to figure it out, but when they leave the theater and go mm. to bed that night, they're like, hold up. Uh, it's not a is thing that's going to be real. Like it yeah. sticks with you. And I think that's also why I like Kruger as a character, because he was like the first horror movie character idea, what have you, that stuck with me for mm. longer than a few days.
0: Yeah, I can agree with that. And it's like you're saying this is not a thing that you can like check under the bed for in the closet for right it's, it's right in your head
1: you can't install adt to stop michael myers from walking in your yeah, house like, exactly that doesn't that doesn't exist <laughs> for your
0: freaking dreams that's true oh i've been watching so much italian film recently and reading about italian directors and there's this one guy called uh Federico fellini shout out to my uh my film professor. (laughs) But he would use a technique where he would use a lot of his memories. This was very prominent in the movie Eight and a Half. And so he used old memories of him as a child and like his journals and whatnot. And that's what Wes Cravens did too when building Freddy Freddy Krueger. So Freddy is based on a childhood memory of Wes Cravens where he saw a uh, homeless man wearing this fedora that's iconic for Freddy Krueger. And the name comes from one of Wes Craven's childhood bullies. And the I whole... looked that a hat. Yeah, like, like that's what stuck with it. The hat, hat start... him. <laughs> started it all. I wonder if he wore that red, like, striped shirt. Oh, shirt. I don't know. But
1: he yeah. just ruined Christmas colors. That's <laughs> <not sure.
0: laughs> oh. And the whole plot line for Nightmare on Elm Street is based on an article that Wes Craven's read. I think I talked to you about it. I thought that he was the one that experienced it, but he read about it. Mm, he okay. said he adapted it, so... Mm-hmm. Um, There was this kid that had sleep paralysis and so he um, was prescribed sleeping medications because he would just refuse to sleep. Um, And of course he refused to take the medication and he just remained awake until he died. Yikes. Because he was so afraid of that monster in his paralysis. Mm -hmm. And so Wes Cravens took that whole idea and visualized it in Nightmare on Elm Street.
1: Well, there even is that scene where is it? Nancy, that like they put her in like a sleep study kind of vibe to like monitor yeah, her sleep so. pattern, yeah. and then she starts like because Nancy's going that really like, gets beyond, into it. yeah. And yeah. she's like, her, um, like the little signals that they're taking mm-hmm. just start going to astronomical levels, and they're like, we have no idea what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. But she's like in this nightmare with Freddie, and he was like actually chasing her, yeah. I, I mean, I truly think the best. Horror movies—not that nightmare is like believable, but come from believable things.
0: It's rooted in reality. It,
1: yeah, it has to be because why mm. else would be afraid? Would we be afraid of it? If yeah. we can suspend it beyond our understanding, there's no reason to be afraid. Yeah. But if it's rooted like in dreams that you can't control, or in family dynamics, or like whatever, that's what's gonna get you because that's mm. what you can relate to.
0: Yeah. Well, it's the, yeah, it's like a. Nightmare on Elm Street is based on this article. Audition was based on Japanese theater, which is based on folklore. Mm-hmm. You know, and so, like you're saying, things rooted in reality is what makes it scary because mm-hmm. it's close it's closer to home. I think that's a big reason why the Joker was so popular because he's a believable villain. Mm. He could be anyone on the street. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, in the case of Freddy Krueger, he's just a well-made character who has his roots in real-time events, and that's why I think it makes him great, too. Going back to my boy Fellini from Italian film, Wes Cravens did another one that's very popular amongst these guys, and that's Practical Effects. Mm. So, in Eight and a Half, Fellini opens the film by straight up just tossing a doll at the helicopter, like, bye-bye, that's the main (laughs) character committing suicide. (laughs) Well, Wes Cravens, he uses uh, uh, Sorry, I'm Reading on my notes here. Wes Cravensey he uses a lot of practical effects. One of the most notorious ones, I actually have a miniature figurine of this. It's the Nancy scene where Freddy, mm-hmm. like, pokes out through the wall. Mm-hmm. And he's, like, shape, shapes Comes, the wall. Yeah. yeah. First time I saw that, chills. <laughs> it's just a great way of introducing a character and the relationship between two characters in just one, like, f- five-second sequence. hmm hmm uh, another one is the, when, uh, Freddie kills Tina. Uh, and this is also a first for me when I saw this is it's a whole rotating room. Now this has been done multiple times. She like
1: goes up into the corner. Yeah. Technically. Yeah. Right. Or what it's supposed to look like.
0: Yeah. And so this has been done many times after that by, um, uh, amongst, <laughs> you know, Christopher Nolan. And I whatnot. believe it
1: happened in high school musical three during Troy Bolton's <laughs> <laughs> scream.
0: Mind you. Did, did he did actually. Yes. Oh my
1: God. But I think so, it was he was stationary and the room was spinning around him because he's in like mental turmoil. Yeah. But I think they used like a,
0: spinning uh, a rotating room. room. Yeah. Yeah. And so this rotating room, it's actually being reused in the same film, Nightmare on Elm Street film. Uh, but yeah, so it's an actually rotating room that slings Tina around, and that's the scene. Now the same room is being used in the Death of Glenn. Now, like we mentioned earlier, Glenn is portrayed by Johnny Depp, and this is his first big break. Uh, so what they essentially did with the death of Glenn was that they turned the room upside down, like they set it up and then bolted everything down, turned it upside down, and they poured gallons and gallons of fake blood into this bed. And when Wes Craven action, they let that rip. Oh my gosh! And it just pours out. It's just this, but yeah. then
1: like when you watch the movie, it just looks like this geyser yeah. of blood is exploding out of the yeah. bed.
0: So imagine just pouring gallons and gallons of water out of a hole in the roof but turning it upside down and it's just shooting at the yeah. ground at this point
1: i think that is one of the most iconic scenes from this movie
0: mm-hmm.
1: just, like that's just such an image yeah a lot of squirting out of it because what happens is glenn gets like pulled into the middle of yeah. the bed and then is like that's it smoothie fight i suppose yeah. and just like shoots out of it
0: so if auditions uh if the ending of audition is Scary because of what it's not showing in its entirety, like those small little cuts where you just see I get a little trickle. Yeah, little... then the nightmare on Elm Street's Glenn Death is the opposite, where <laughs> you're just showing too much, man. This yeah. is just too much blood. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
1: like, like you said, gallons,
0: gallons. Yeah,
1: the one scene I always remember, I think it's probably in Tina's, like it's pretty early in the movie, when Freddie's arms like extend. 30 feet in either direction. He's just like, Ooh, I've Mm -hmm. got all the arms. That was really cool. But then the one scene I can't stand is right at the end when the mom gets like yanked through the window. It's like a Barbie doll getting pulled (laughs) through the window. And again, like practical effects, Mm -hmm. 1984, I get it.
0: (laughs) But that last moment when he pulls the mom through the door now we can start talking about is it a dream or not?
1: Yes, exactly. (laughs) Then like, what's real? I don't know. (laughs) Because so, all of her friends are, like, alive again.
0: Yeah, it's weird. It, it's yeah. uh, It's like a Shutter Island-type ending where you're mm. just like, uh, I think this is what happened, but I'm not going to say anything But I'm sure. not sure. Yeah. Regardless, it's a great movie. It's my favorite movie of the Elm Street series, mostly because I just have beef with every other movie. I was like, I
1: don't even think I've seen the others. I'm too I scared have, to.
0: I bought the box set to watch with my friends back home, mm-hmm. and we got to the last movie, and I just go, what a terrible (laughs) way to end such a great (laughs) series
1: and i'll clarify i'm not scared to watch them for like fear reasons i'm scared to watch them because i don't think they're going to be good and i don't want to be disappointed
0: yes yes. i feel like we've talked about this so many times yeah (laughs) Yeah. okay well so what's the latest maddie what's the latest
1: i don't know we're gonna find out um i'll start off with this because i adore it but harry styles released a new music video (laughs) Um, it's, <laughs> it's I believe the fifth single release for the album. It's called Golden. There's like no plot to the video whatsoever, but it's just such happy, immaculate vibes. He's just running. I don't know where he's running to, but he's just running. And then he's got that like blue green coat on. And he's got this immaculate outfit, but then he's like dirty sneakers on. And it's just it's it's wholesome fun. It's just so cute. I like. Well, I like some of the music videos from that album better than this one, but I'm not mad. Like it it just radiates I'll, uh, joy.
0: I'll definitely check out that music video. I've been on a music video train for a while. And I also like the artist that Harry Styles is becoming. I- I'm a fan.
1: Would agree. Yeah,
0: 100%. I am also uh, very ready for to see him in the next Christopher Nolan movie.
1: <laughs> He's going to be in
0: He's a great actor. I was, yeah, I was surprised. Yeah, he started
1: in Dunkirk in 2017. That was yeah. his first like acting thing. He's going to be in a new movie. What's it called? Hold on. I need to look at I don't. It's not Christopher Nolan. No. But it's with...
0: It should have been. <laughs>
1: not. That's not it. Oh, this is bad. Oh, Don't Worry Darling? Is that what it's called? That doesn't sound right. Does he have the lead? Okay, Don't Worry Darling, which... Olivia Wilde is directing as well as starring. No it. way. And it has Florence Pugh. Kim and Florence are like a married couple. Um, Olivia Wilde's in it.
0: She's directing it too?
1: Yes. Oh, wait. Who She's else? directed before, right? I believe so.
0: I feel like I've heard her name in some sort of producer director Chris
1: Pine is going to be in it. Chris Pine, my man, Chris Pine. Kiki Lane. Um, yeah. I don't know what it's about. I don't care. I will see it. I'm here for the acting comeback by Mr. Styles, and wholeheartedly dedicated to him as an artist.
0: Um, all right. I'll take a, uh, talk about some of the ones that I've uh, listed. I just grabbed a couple of them from my good friends at IMDb. From, from
1: secret sources.
0: Classified sources. This is
1: the medium top secret information. We so, have all backdoor phone numbers and emails to get this
0: info before anyone else so on october 30th the movies come play a monster named larry manifests itself through smartphones and mobile devices a feature film version of a 2017 short film directed by jacob chase i tried to find a trailer but i was so tired at the time i was writing this i didn't even bother (laughs) uh but I like the idea behind the, like, just this plot line right here. I like this. I
1: like that it, the monster's name is Larry. Yeah,
0: that's what threw me off. I was like, oh, this How looks cute. like a cool, scary movie. And then <laughs> I read it, I was like, Larry? But regardless, I will uh, at some point watch this trailer and uh, report back if I'm going to watch it or not. This next one falls into the same category as um, Blair Witch Project, Cloverfield. Sure. right? It's this handheld found footage um, film called the devil's doorway so here's the plot line in the fall of 1960 two priests were sent from the, the vatican to investigate a home in ireland where they uncover horrific things
1: dun, dun, dun. yeah
0: and uh, i did find the trailer for this one it was easily accessible so that's why i watched it <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, thoughts good yes no? it looks really good um i don't know how um much i care about the whole we found this footage from 1960s like ah, i don't care if that's what you need to sell movies go ahead but it'd be cool if you just said this is a movie about this yeah uh and it's very much a uh, the Lightroom meets cloverfield because uh, it's in this like compressed like uh almost four by three formatting uh very like faded film looks it looks cool i will i will watch it sure yeah oh uh, and then i shared this with you it's the french dispatch the new west anderson sad. yeah it's the new Wes anderson movie it looks stunning it looks beautiful uh and it was supposed to be released this summer got postponed until october 16th mm-hmm. and now it is ex- uh it's extended till the 28th of january 2021
1: that's so sad i was uh-huh. so looking forward to it
0: i hope that uh they didn't i hope that they had the opportunity to go back from what they call picture log and like Maybe they can work on it even more. Mm, mm -hmm. So, like, are we going to see an even better movie version? Highly unlikely since they've had, you know, release dates already. I
1: think, I don't know if it was last semester or the semester before, but Reed had mentioned it because they were, like, in either early stages or, like, the trailer had just gotten dropped or Mm -hmm. something. But I remember hearing about it from him. And at that point, the date was October. And I, like, literally wrote it in my calendar because I was so excited for it. And then you were like, by the way, it got pushed back. And, <laughs> oh, so frustrating. But I get it. <laughs> I'm not yeah. happy about it.
0: So there's that. So we um, just have to wait patiently.
1: <laughs> like, upset, but
0: patiently. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. Hey, they could have canceled the whole movie.
1: I mean, I'm really glad they didn't. Yeah. <laughs> I well, have another one for okay. you Matthew McConaughey. I don't know what y'all's opinions are. I have tea about Matthew Cunningham. But anyway, he released a memoir type book called Green Lights. And basically what he did is he took all of his old like journals and notebooks and diaries and just like went into the desert. He would go for like 12 days at a time. He'd come back, check on home, and then he'd go again. And he just kept doing these like weird solo expeditions where he'd just take all of his work, or not work, his like diaries and sort through them and collect stories from them and prayers and wisdom and all that. And he just compiled it into this book. That's kind of a memoir, kind of a, I don't know, you should do this with life (laughs) sort of thing. Um, And yeah, he wrote a
0: book, which is kind of cool. That's kind of cool. Yeah.
1: And I learned about it because he was on Hot Ones, which is a YouTube interview show where they just eat spicy wings and answer (laughs) questions and they get like hotter and hotter as you go along. Which I wanted to mention just because, like, they still have episodes coming out. They're just doing it over Zoom, mm-hmm. which I would love mm-hmm. to have to be a guest and, like, prepare your own wings. That seems so <laughs> funny to me.
0: You think they send the whole sauce kit?
1: They did because Matthew McConaughey had every single oh. bottle sitting in front of it. Um, but that's just a really fun show. So check that out. Yeah, watch that in the meantime.
0: Uh, in other news, just some quick music related news Bruce Springsteen released the letter to you. Gorillaz re- released Song Machine Season 1, and Major Lazer has released Music is a Weapon. All getting fairly good reviews, and uh, they're out on, I think, mostly all platforms. And now... Are you ready? No. This is a good one. Oh, no. Oh, have I been excited about this one. Oh, yeah, yeah. I love this man. Oh, my lord. Sasha Baron Cohen releases Borat, the subsequent movie film, and I have watched it twice. Oh, Since release last Friday, it is wonderful, <laughs> and it is as cringeworthy <laughs> as the first one, of and course. I laughed the whole way through. <laughs> Woo! There is some tea in this film. Our
1: coworker May says that she's worried for his life. She thinks he's gonna get like killed because of this movie. Oh, yeah.
0: oh! I don't know what is what, what they do with Sasha Baron Cohen. But the fact that he survived the first film, <laughs> that astonishes me already. And the fact that he went out and he had the nerve to make a second one. And the people he talked to, the people that he like surrounds himself with in this film, are just beautiful people. Some not, but most of them oh, they are just Lord. unique characters and it's worth every minute of viewing time oh my god i think i might just go home and watch it one he's more time gonna give it a third watch <laughs> no but there's some uh this is really the the uh, just uh i guess summary of what sasha baron cohen has been doing the last couple years since the first release of borat because he's done this is america and all mm-hmm. these shows and he's <laughs> just wild i can't help it so Borat, the subsequent movie film. If you like the first one, you're probably going to like this one. It's worth the watch if you haven't even seen. If you haven't seen any of them, hit me up and I'll make sure that you watch both of them. <laughs> I just, I love it so much. I even have my Borat sticker on my computer. I was going to comment
1: on that. I was like, I'm pretty sure you have a sticker.
0: Yeah. So, great film. Make well, sure you watch that.
1: Glad you love it. That's good. Um, the last thing I'm going to give to y'all is apparently The Bachelorette. Changed <gasps> leads. Well, so like, not today. Like, it happened a few months ago. In oh, okay. the latest episode, it's like episode three, this whole thing, Claire was supposed to be the oldest bachelorette ever, and it was cool, and they had to push the whole season back because of COVID, mm-hmm. but, you know, leave it to ABC. You gotta get so, that moneymaker.
0: So there's, there's no season running right now?
1: Well, it's airing right now. Okay. It's so it's they filmed right it, yeah. They, like, had all the guys... Quarantine for two weeks and like mm. make sure they were negative for a few weeks so that way they could all live together safely. And like, if they're all just sequestered at the mansion, I guess they're not, all gonna yeah. be fine. So it's a pod, so yeah. They so they like made sure that took place. And then I haven't watched the episode, but I guess there was kind of this like not revolt, but she was really digging this one guy and was like, I'm in love with him already. And all the guys are like, Well, what the heck are we here for? And so she's gone, she's not the bachelorette anymore. And oh. they brought in Tasia, who was. Kind of a fan favorite from her when she was a contestant and she was on Bachelor of Paradise for a season. And everyone loves her, and we thought she was going to be the Bachelorette to begin with. Uh. So now she's there. And I don't know if they're going to like bring back the guys that like already got sent home or if she's just going to like start with who's left, but... Super weird.
0: That is weird. Yikes. (laughs) You think if you were a producer on the show, you'd like have a contingency plan if something like that happened? (laughs) I
1: I don't know. And like, these poor dudes took all this time out to like quarantine and then for her to be like, I'm dipping. But also, like, if he's the one, sure. Yeah. That's the point, I guess. Not
0: knocking that. I just think the whole scenario is funny. (laughs) I mean, The Bachelor is funny. Like,
1: the whole show is still. Plugging along, like I thought we we were past that. Like it's 2020. You'd think we would have realized this ain't it. Like (laughs) it's not working. It's not like nice to people, but people keep signing up and people clearly keep watching it. So it's just a staple at this point. It's like America's Got Talent, you know. Oh yeah. Well again, like if people keep applying and they keep getting viewership,
0: people's going to watch.
1: What's stopping them? I guess. That's all I had. I don't know. It seemed... I probably will still watch The Bachelorette and, like, catch up on it, but, like, out of spite more so. Mm. And just because like, I want to know what's going on. Yeah. I'm I'm the one that's like, I don't want to be involved in drama, but, like, tell me the tea. <laughs> Let let's me a, know.
0: Let's get a written report here going. <laughs> it's a critical... I need a book report. <laughs> yeah. What a... happened to Claire? Critical discourse of The Bachelorette. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's what I live for. Well, I will tell you, couple semesters ago I had to do a research paper for a communications class it was 20 pages long and it was partly on bachelor in paradise and then another dating show on MTV so not saying I'm a fan but I did spend a whole semester writing a paper about it so
0: wonderful well now that we've disclosed the (laughs) curriculum of the university of St. Thomas then I'm educated I think this is a good note to end it on
1: i would agree yes thank you everyone for joining us
0: thank you everyone for listening to our uh, incoherent rambling
1: big spooky vibes <laughs> going out to all y'all
0: stay safe stay, stay healthy, healthy stay healthy mm-hmm. And uh, stay classy <laughs>
1: yeah we'll see you next time <laughs>